A little hidden history, a little pedagogy, a lot of ways we can improve our teaching and mindset so that our history and social studies classrooms tell a more complete, diverse human story. I'm Cheryl Ann Amendola, and this is the Teaching History Her Way podcast. Do you love the Teaching History Her Way podcast? I know I do. Help me continue to record episodes by purchasing some totally awesome history merch from my Amazon store. Any profits made fund the price of producing the Teaching History Her Way podcast. You can find the link in the show notes or on my website. Go to www.teachinghistoryherway.com and click on merch. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Teaching History Her Way podcast. My name is Cheryl Ann Amendola, and I am so very happy to welcome you here today. If you are a new listener, Welcome. I hope you'll come back many, many more times. If you are a returning listener, I am so happy that you thought enough of the podcast to come back again. Today, I'm really excited, and I know I'm excited in every episode, but I just really love doing my podcast, and I really love talking to other teachers. I love talking to you about history, and I love being able to talk to other teachers about history and talk to you about it. So, Please don't think my excitement is ever disingenuous because it isn't. It is always, always very genuine. And today I'm really excited because Neil Rona is on my podcast today and he is a special education teacher. And that's not an opportunity that I've ever had in my teaching career. So he's going to talk to us today about teaching history in a special education classroom. And I'm sure that many of these strategies are going to be able to translate into your general education classes and even your honors classes as well. Neil is currently a middle school educator in Howard County, Maryland, but he has spent most of his eight years teaching in alternative special ed schools. Most of his career has been spent helping students whose emotional disabilities have caused them to fall behind academically as well. Neil, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. And Neil is also part of the iCivics EdNet network. So for those of you who are also part of that, you can find him in our in our little hashtag. And for those of you who don't know what the iCivics Ed Network is, I will put that in the show notes that you can find out. So Neil, tell us a little bit about you and your career, and then we'll start our conversation. All right, awesome. Uh, so I started off as a teacher a uh, little bit differently. I didn't go, my undergrad wasn't in education. Um, my, uh, my undergrad was actually in, my degree says communication and rhetorical studies. So I learned really well how to argue. I learned, you know, the, you know, the, the big parts of, you know, I learned Aristotle, all the, all the different forms of persuasion, which have come in very much handy. Um, so what I realized my junior or senior year was that I really wanted to teach. I had the opportunity to work um, with an organization through my college that was showing uh, elementary schoolers, giving them a chance to come up to the college and learn something. You know, they would come up and have some college kids teach them about something. And, and I was teaching, teaching a group about law. That's really and cool. It, it was amazing. And that's when I realized like, oh, this is, this is what I really want to do. This is really what I want. I want to teach. And then by the end of junior year, it's a little bit late to switch over to education. So I kind of just bounced around after, after graduating, trying to find jobs that where I could teach as part of the job instead of going back and actually just getting the master's degree because that seemed really hard at the time. And then a few years go by and I'm like, nope, now it's time. Now it's time. I want to go back and get my master's. I get my master's in the, uh, I got a, a mat degree, a master's in the arts of teaching. 
uh, for elementary. Um, and then I got hired at one of the alternative schools that you mentioned. Um, and they needed a high school teacher, high school social studies teacher. And I went, okay, that's what I wanted to do all along. But elementary seemed like an easier way in. And elementary is amazing. I love working with little kids. Um, so I went, okay, yeah, I can do that. And that's kind of, I've been going from there. Isn't it interesting how life kind of brings you to places you don't expect to be? Mm-hmm, absolutely. My original major was musical theater. So, okay. So it's funny how you just kind of weave your way in and then just fall in love with something and history just happened to be it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I always loved, you know, government and history uh, as, uh, as, as a teenager. Like, I, I guess love is maybe a strong word. I paid attention. It, it kept my attention in class. And in college, I liked taking history courses, so I just kept taking them. Um, so, yeah. And so I went, okay, I think I would like to teach that. And so tell out. us about your strategies for teaching history in a special education classroom. I mean, you can start out with the beginning of your career when you're teaching in an alternative school. As a high school teacher, you can tell us about now. But I'm really interested to hear how it's different than what a gen ed teacher is doing. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is oddly not that much different, but also completely different uh, at times because we have the same curriculum that we have to follow at alternative schools. Mm-hmm. But obviously there's less pressure to, to make sure that kids are getting it and passing and, and um and doing really, really well and passing the, the, you know, the final exams because the kids that I would get at the alternative schools, they've already essentially like, essentially when they come in, I've had students talk to me about what, listen, every other school has given up on me. That's going to, same thing's going to happen here. And to an extent that's a light, you know, for them, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because they already think they're a bad kid. So they're going to, you know, why, why bother trying to be good? You that's know? a lot of baggage to bring into the classroom. It is, it is a lot of baggage. And that's one of the things that like an alternative school, it's a little bit freeing because, you know, these kids are going through so much more than, than I've ever gone through at half the age. So, you know, if they don't know who, you know, if, if they don't remember who James Monroe is, by the time they're out, I can live with that. That is not going to be the end of the world. You know, they might struggle on Jeopardy sometimes, but you know, that they're, you know, I, I, my goal is to make it a place where they can just be, if nothing else, they can just be and maybe absorb some stuff along the way. How about the civics end of, of your, um, of your classroom? Because in you saying that there's this theme of they feel like they've been given up on, which obviously you haven't. And I'm sure most of the teachers in your school have not as well. Otherwise you wouldn't be there. But how then do you turn a student who's kind of sad and angry about society into someone who cares enough to be active in society? Mm -hmm. That's a hard job. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And it's one of those jobs that I go, okay, if I can inch them a little bit closer, that's great. You know, I'm, 
I'm not going in thinking I'm going to, you know, they're going to come in, you know, day one and be like, nah, not, you know, the government's the enemy. And by the end of the year going like, okay, maybe I can be the one to change things. I'm, I'm aware that is, I'm not making that jump in one year. Maybe if you give me four years, I can get them to listen, I get it. Government's the government's messed up. Maybe I can get them to that point. Like not to like government's the enemy to government's just broken. Like I'll take that. I would take that jump. Um, but one of my favorite things to do at the beginning of every year in my government class was to start off with, um, you know, do a day of introductions and stuff and I'll, you know, set up classroom rules and expectations, which are very small for that group. Um, and it's going to be, the next thing I'm going to do is, okay, we're learning about government this year. First, I get the idea that how they feel about government. And that's like, we're going to pretend like this is an island. We just got to a completely remote island. What are we, we got to set up a government. What are we doing? What's going to be, what are going to be our priorities? What are we going to work? Like, what's the first thing we want to make sure everyone has or everyone, you know, like, what are we doing? Like, what, what's, what's our starting point? And, you know, kind of bringing that around to like, this is kind of what it was like at the beginning of the United States. They, everyone just got, up, got together in a big, you know, big room and they started talking, what do we want this country to be? Um, and it's always, it, every year was interesting. Every year was different. Some years it would be talking about, you know, making sure everyone has enough food, water, homes, make sure everyone has homes, everyone, make sure everyone has nice homes specifically. Um, and some years it was like, everyone's got to have a gun. Everyone's got to be able to protect themselves. And just getting them to think about like, oh, we can make this government whatever we want it to be. And just really trying to reinforce that point. They're like, no, okay, this government, you know, it, it doesn't have to be boring and old and memorizing the three branches. It's, I want to hear about you. I want to hear about what you care about. And that way I can wrap it back around to some, you know, wrap my other lessons back around to something they care about. So that year with the group that was like, yeah, everyone needs a gun because we need to be able to protect ourselves. I went, cool. I know what I can, you know, uh, just the fact, the fact that that was number one on, on most people's lists uh, was was like, okay, I, I get this now. Okay. I understand who I'm working with. Yeah, that's a really great clue into the next things that you can do too and your next steps and what is your lesson going to look like. And that's something, again, I think that all of us can use because those cluing into the kids and not just giving them, like you said, the three branches, but asking them what they value can really help you figure out how you're going to structure your next thing, or how are you going to teach them, or how are you going to reach them, or all of the above. So what happens next? So what else do you do in your government classes with them, just out of curiosity? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned the iCivics EdNet. I, I, my very first year. So one of the interesting things about a lot of alternative schools is um, you get to make up what all of your own stuff. Um, and I say get to as a nice way of praising it. Um, I'm now in a public school where they have myriads of lesson plans, myriads of, of resources. 
Um, but in alternative school, they, you know, when I, when I was dropped into it, they went, here's a textbook, follow that. And I went, oh, this sucks. That is the worst way to teach. I don't want to do that. So I just started searching around and iCivics was one of the first things I ran into. And they have so many amazing resources and uh, lesson plans that I can use, that I did use and continued and will continue to use if I get a chance to teach it again. Um, uh, and so at first it was a lot of just like picking and choosing, well, like, okay, this thing, and then we'll do this thing. Um, and then as the years went by, I got some time to actually think about, okay, what order do I want to go in? Um, and so for me, uh, what I always tried to start the year with for government, um, and it changed from year to year again, based on the kids. Um, but it was usually like, what was it like to start the government? So we would start with that lesson of starting the government, put a big piece of paper on the board, write down whatever they cared about. Um, and then it went into like, okay, this was what it was like for, for our, you know, for our framers, for the, you know, the people who set up our government, you know, the George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, you know, they were trying to figure out what was going to be important to them, what they thought was going to be really, really important. And, uh, and so then I literally had, you know, the next day they would come in and I had a new list on the board, like, here's what they found important. And it was kind of just a list of the, you know, part, part of it was the bill of rights. Part of it is, you know, stuff out of just pieces out of the constitution. Um, and we talked about putting them in order. I had them put them in order in like what they thought should have been the most important. And then we looked at, and then we would put it in order of how much time did they spend or how many words did they spend on each section of the, of the constitution and kind of judge that as our, how much did they care about this thing? What a great idea. I'm totally stealing that next week because we're yeah. in the middle of the constitution right now. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. So there, yeah, there was a resource. I, I don't remember who created it. I, I definitely did not. Um, but it was just like, you know, I, I had an, an abridged version of, of the constitution and the assignment was kids would go around. It was, it was a stations activity and we had seven stations for seven uh, articles of the constitution. And they would, they would have to go around and kind of read through bits and pieces. Again, very abridged, um, very, very much just picking and choosing parts from each thing. And then I would give a word count at the bottom, like, Here's what, here's like the bullet points for each section and here's how many words they spent on it. And so they would have to figure out, oh, for, you know, article, article one, they spent 3,905, 3,957 or whatever number it was on that. And then article two, they spent like 500 words, whatever the number was. And they're like, oh, so that article one, was way more important than article two because there are way more words on that one. And that really, for, for some of the kids that really say, you know, hit it home. They're like, Oh, okay. That's one way of judging how important something is, is how much time you put into it. Again, another really good life lesson as well. Mm -hmm. Really marrying those two things together. I actually want to pick your brain a little bit about reading because you were talking about the number of words and them actually reading 
uh, reading Article 1 and reading Article 2. What are some of your strategies that you use for reading primary sources in your classroom? Yeah, so one of the one of the things I, I try to do in, and I, I do that especially now in, you know, even in middle school special education, uh, we, we read everything, we would read everything together. Um, knowing that I, I was never an English teacher, I have no interest. That's the one thing I've always said, like, I don't, I don't know how I would teach it. I would figure it out if somebody, you know, if I had to, but, um, but it was, I, I'm not expecting you to be able to read everything. So we're going to read it together. We're going to read it as a group, or I'm going to give you something that I know you can read on your grade level. So um, that and I, uh, that con- the abridged constitution, I had three levels of it. The, the first one was just picking pieces of the text, just copy and paste. Um, the second one was some pieces copied and pasted and other things bullet pointed, like here's what they talked about, here's what was important. And then the third one was just bullet points, like they talked about this and then they talked about this in just regular modern day English um, as simple as can be. And I kind of gauged, uh, the reading levels when the first week and I had all of them available so that if I, if I missed, like if I misread the class, I can just switch them out without, uh, without too much of a problem. But the, I mean, the main thing I always thought was I am not an English teacher. I am not expecting you to know how to read. So I'm just going to make this as easy as possible for you. And if, if we need to, I'll just, we can just read it all together. We'll just read it all as a group. That's fine with me. That's one of the things that I do with my classes as well. And when I first started that, it's actually a Gilder Lerman teaching uh, literacy through history strategy. And when I first started doing it, I was reading to them and then having them choral read with me. And reading together felt so weird until they started being really grateful for it because they could then hear the cadence of the words. They could hear the pronunciation and, um, and just generally feel more comfortable reading it because they know, they know how it sounds. So for anybody who kind of scoffs at that reading together piece, like it's an old strategy, or I just, I remember doing it with, with my teachers in their early nineties. And when I went to teaching school, it wasn't something that they necessarily recommended, I highly recommend what Neil is doing in his classroom. And I highly recommend the TLTH program for Gilder Lerman because reading together really opens the door for them to want to do it because they're not afraid of it anymore. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And especially with something like the constitution or some of those like, you know, uh, colonial texts where like they, they're writing in basically a different language. Like for, especially when with students who are already struggling to read on grade level as it is, Again, throwing them like a, a you know a colonial period text. It again, it's basically a different language. It you know they could maybe they can probably read all the words, but they're they're it's gonna they're gonna have a hard time comprehending what they're saying, what they're saying, what they're talking about. So you know, and I, I know in my classrooms, if we didn't do work all together, work wasn't getting done. You know, if I said, okay, you're gonna go off and read this text, and then you're gonna answer questions, and then we'll talk about it at the end of class we weren't going to get anywhere. That wasn't, we were going to, they were just going to wait until the end of class and just hope that I gave them the answers. 
So instead, I just went, okay, cool. We're just going to, we'll work on this all as a group. And, it, it, you know, in my head, when I started doing it, I'm like, well, then kids are just going to check out and they're just going to wait for all the other kids to answer the questions. And yeah, that sometimes happens. But, you know, but at least they're, they're hearing the conversation and they're hearing the answers and how somebody came to that answer. Um, and if nobody came to the answer, then it's, I would model my thought process and be like, oh, okay, so here was the, com- here was the question. I see here's a keyword or here's an interesting word. Here's a weird word. Let's see if we can find it in the text. And at least then we can figure out a way to find the answer that we need. Knowing your audience is half the battle in teaching mm-hmm. so that you can customize to who they are and what they need. Uh, so Neil, is there anything else that you think is really important that our audience knows about you or your classroom or teaching in, in a special education setting? What do you want? What's one last thing? One last, one parting thought. <laughs> oh my gosh. It could be so many things. Um, but I think the most important thing for me, and, and it's really changed this year. So I'd been the lead teacher in a special education school, like an alternative school. Everyone comes in with an IEP. Um, and this year I'm in a public school and I'm doing a lot more co-teaching where I'm, I'm kind of just the, you know, I'm coming in as like an expert just to kind of help everybody. Um, and or provide assistance to this group of students. Um, And I guess the biggest thing for me is just having, if if you have that in your room, try, you know, if if you're co-teaching with a special educator, include them in your process. Let them know what you're doing. Let them know what's happening. Um, Let them know if you need something. We are, we, we understand that we're there to um, help you and to help our students. And so if you can let us know what's coming and how it's all going to work and we're not coming into the classroom blind, uh, which also, we also completely understand education is crazy. We're all just trying to keep our heads above water most times. So we are used to walking in blind and walking in trying to keep up, but if you can, give us a heads up and, and ask us for help. If you need, if you need something edited, if you need a, an extra document, let us know. Maybe we can help you. Maybe you might also get the, yeah, I'm, I'm swamped. I can't. And then you can at least say, okay, well, that's, that, that's fine. I love that. I love that idea of collaboration. And I also love that idea of just being open because not everybody has your skill set. Not everybody has your expertise. So being able to work together, being able to ask for that advice, it's not a bad thing for the general educator to go to the special educator and be like, look, I need help. That's an okay thing to do. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that. And I'm also so glad that you mentioned it because um, that opens the door and lets other teachers know that you're willing, you're there, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, again, this is my first year. I'm I'm co-teaching math classes. Um, uh, yeah, I mostly taught social studies. I've taught a year, you know, science. I, I have taught a year of like elementary math, but, uh, that was not a, uh, uh it's not a thing. And so having, I've, I've had two great co-teachers within that where they're like, 
hey, here's what's going. Do you want, you know, do you have some time to come up and we can chat about what's coming up and where you can find resources to, to stay on top of things? And that's been, that was amazing, especially at the beginning of the year. Um, and to have them every once in a while be like, hey, can you find this thing? Like, do, you know, do you know of anything? And I'll be like, I don't, but I can certainly find it. That's awesome. So if our audience wanted to get in touch with you outside of the podcast, what is the best way to do that? Uh, I mean, you can reach me on, on social media, pretty much all of them. Uh, pretty much all of them. I'm Neil, N-E-I-L-W-R-O-N-A. I have a weird spelled, weirdly spelled uh, last name. So um, again, it was N-E-I-L-W-R-O-N-A. Um, I'm not as active on Twitter as I, as I was a few years ago, but you know, cause I have a three-year-old. Uh, um, so, uh, but I, you, you can always reach me. I am always happy to have a conversation, always happy to learn. And thank you so much for being my guest today. Our teachers in our audience and everyone in our audience certainly has a lot to learn from you. I know I certainly did, because like I said at the beginning, I've never had the opportunity to teach um, in a special education education setting. Um, so this is far outside of my wheelhouse. And when you said that you would talk to me, I was really thrilled, especially because of the topic for today. So thank you so much for being here. No, and thank you for having such an amazing podcast. I, I've been I've been listening and and there, you know, every week it seems to be just an amazing, you know, group of people that you can bring together and, and tell an amazing story. Pretty there much are a lot week. of really, really good educators out there. I'm so lucky. Absolutely. I always joke with um, with my with my participants, with the people that I that I interview, that it's PD for my audience, but really I'm also taking it all in. It's like PD for me. So. Absolutely. I, it's one of the things that I'm I'm coming up to a year where I need some PD, and I wish I could count. So you know all the <laughs> podcasts I listen to. Well, audience, thank you so much for being here today. I hope that you enjoyed uh, my conversation with Neil as much as I did. If you would like to chat with me outside of this podcast, if you have any questions or if you just want to talk, you can find me basically all over social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at History Her Way or on Instagram at Teaching History Her Way. You can find me on my website, www.teachinghistoryherway.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash, you guessed it, Teaching History Her Way. Thank you so very, very much again for being here. I hope you had a wonderful week before you got here today. And I hope you have a wonderful week next week until I talk to you again. Thanks again for listening to the Teaching History Her Way podcast.